My guest today was a planner in public and private practice. He had worked in planning for the city of Kitchener for 30 years. Then he worked in private practice. In 2006, in the municipal election, he offered his experience, skills, and expertise to the citizens of Kitchener, but narrowly lost that election. In 2010, he ran again and was successful and was elected a councillor for Ward 8 in Kitchener. He was re-elected in 2014, but lost his re-election bid in 2018. I'd like to welcome to the Old Grey Mayor's podcast, Zig Yanetsky. I got that name. Yeah, I got the name right. Right on. <laughs> Thank you very much. Listen, thanks a lot for uh, coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I much appreciated. Uh, so the, the Old Grey Mayors podcast is about, you know, reaching out to former local politicians to, uh, you know, capture through our oral uh, history, the oral capture, the oral history of uh, their time in office and just sort of preserve that a little bit. So that's sort of what we're going to do. Talk about things that what attracted you to running, why you ran a little bit of background about yourself and talk about some of the things that, uh, you know, you were involved with uh, during your time. So why don't we start out with, so I understand um, you got, you started working for the city of Kitchener and planning, but was that, you, did you graduate from the university of Waterloo? Is that where you came from? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in Toronto. Okay. And uh, I went to university of Toronto, finished my education there at U of T. Uh, back before at Arendelle College, before it became Mississauga, uh, and uh, when I graduated there, then of course looked for a job and uh, applied a few places and was uh, was selected and uh, joined the City of Kitchener uh, City Hall, in 1973, just after uh, regional government came in. Oh right, yes, yeah, 73, very exciting times. So a lot of the staff that were at the City of Kitchener. And different departments, engineering, planning, clerks, wherever, ended up going to the region and starting to work there because they needed staff. And then all of a sudden, there's a bunch of vacancies, and I ended up taking one of the vacancies. At the at the region? No, at the city. Oh, sorry, at the city, yeah. And did you it's think some, uh, it would be a long-term thing? <laughs> I, I initially thought I would stay a couple of years or so, get a, get a little bit of experience, and then go back to Toronto because that's where my roots were. And yeah. uh, and I got into planning only because I loved what was happening in Toronto. Late 60s, brand new city hall. Eaton Center was under development. The Gardner Expressway was just completed. Uh, CN Tower was in uh, discussions. Ontario Place was in the works or actually was already uh, opened up. Wow. So uh, I thought, hey, this is great. Some municipal planning, city, what the city, what will the city look like in the year 2000? Yeah, I got to get involved and be part of it. So um, that's the field I went into. And of course, getting the working in Kitchener, you need a bit of experience and go back to Toronto. But I loved Kitchener because it's only an hour away. Uh, price of housing and cost of living was more or less half the price. Yeah. And, uh, got married here and so decided to stay, raise a family. Been here 50 so years. So tell me, before we get into the political stuff, what were some of the big projects you were working on through the city of Kitchener? Would it have been the new city hall, I guess? Uh, I was involved with the new city hall, uh, not not the one in, in, uh, that was built in 73, because that was just the Oxley Tower, because they tore down the old city hall you yeah. know, uh, back in the, at that time. But the new city hall in 73 was uh, in, in the works, and I was part of the the, uh, the plenary, ses plenary sessions that we had with the public to get a feel of what they wanted. So I I, I handled some of those uh, and uh, trying to feel, well, what do we need in our new city hall, et cetera. So like skating rink, a square, uh, openness, uh, accessibility to the public, uh, stuff of that nature, parking underground or above or whatever. How big should the building be? What should its architecture be like? So there's a variety of things that uh, uh, I, I was involved with. But I wasn't the lead on it or anything like that. But I was just yeah. part of a group of the city hall planners who are were involved with uh, with the public engagement. Yeah, because I've had uh, I've had um, uh, Mayor Christie on 
former Mayor Christie on oh, the yeah. show. Yeah. And uh, we had some discussions about uh, the discussion about where they were going to put the city hall. That's true too. Yeah. And there was some debate about down by where the farmer's market area is right now versus where it is now. So yeah. that was kind of an interesting discussion. Yeah. I was involved in that. That was more political. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I remember all those discussions too. Okay. But let me ask you then, since you're working on that, the, was there a thermostat or some barometer or something that was supposed to be on the top of the building? Uh, and did that ever work? Yes, uh, there was talk of doing a weather beacon right. uh, on that, similar to the Canada Life Building in downtown Toronto at Queen and University. And mm-hmm. it had a gauge of, uh, I mean, if the lights were run up, that means the temperature is going up that, uh, at that moment or that day, and it was going down. And then it would be in different colors, red or blue or white, to depict whether it's sunny, uh, rain, uh, or snow, or whatever. The cost of that was, I guess, maybe prohibitive to a degree. Technology uh, maybe was there because they, they have it in Toronto, uh, but it just didn't materialize in the end. Yeah, I remember that discussion. I, I forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just wondering. It just actually just came to me now. So, okay, so what, what other big projects were you involved with while you're with the city then that you can remember from the planning? Well, um, from a planning perspective, I was really more involved with subdivisions new growth of uh, subdivisions in the areas. Down in Pioneer Park, uh, Beechwood area, Forest Heights, uh, out in Grand River. I sort of did a lot of that, that, that uh, development because I was involved directly with the developers and their consultants on uh, suburban growth, greener oh, okay. as we were referring to them. And uh, downtown, uh, I didn't really get involved too much on that, sort of other planners. But I was just working out more uh, from the outskirts, right. having the city expand outwards. Regional government had come in. The city doubled its size in land area. In fact, more, it almost tripled its size from wow. before 73. So there was all this farmland that was sort of begging to be developed. And, of course, developers were buying up the lands and wanted to come forward with their housing projects. And I was involved dealing with a whole bunch of them. Was there? Uh, I, I did some interviews with Jean Halboom, and one of the first ones we did was uh, she was involved with an issue about a road. It was sort of a collector road that was supposed to go through uh, Dune, and there was a big fight on her part about what this road was going to be or what it was going to do, and it was on the planning uh, schedules for the city of Kitchener. So it was kind of an interesting discussion about her involvement on that. I don't know if you remember Jean from that time at all. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, she was. Uh, I was working at the city as a planner, and she was uh, on council. So I've uh, met with her several times over those over those years, and she was very much heritage oriented. Um, I was involved with heritage as well, being uh, the city's rep on the heritage committee, but also dealing with land development. So I was trying to make sure that some of the older buildings and structures were preserved as much as possible, if they were doable, uh, and and dealing with her. And of course, you're, you're trying to develop uh, road networks, whatever. Uh, they also have to tie in with sewer expansion because when you flush the toilets, they've got to go by grabbing <laughs> all that stuff. So you got to find the, the easiest, easiest right. way. So um, uh, engineering sort of had an important factor in terms of street designs and which way everything will be well, um, created. Path of least resistance. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so um, after you after you spent your thirty years, I mean, you retired from the city kind of early, I guess, right? You, you said you were about fifty three or fifty four. Yeah, um, I, I, of course, the city had uh, as part of uh, OMERS of uh, a pension plan that you get to contribute to, right? And uh, they have a ninety factor, which is how old you are, number of years that you work, and yeah. if it works out to, to to ninety. You you can retire, or you can still continue working if you want. Sure. Well, Omers came back and said, well, we got a lot of money. Let's reduce the factor down to 80. Wow. So now I qualified. I I didn't plan to retire at at the age of 53, but the numbers were there. But meanwhile, there were some developers that were looking for me to work with them in in a consulting field. So I thought, well, maybe I'll retire and then go work uh, in that field as well and decided to make that move, which I did. And how long were you in private practice? Well, um, I would say nine years. I spent five years with planning and engineering initiatives. Yeah. When I ran, then I ran in 2006. And when I didn't quite get in, 
I continued planning on my own as a, as a uh, so, okay. Four more so years. I had uh, a few clients that uh, were still interested in, in having me as opposed to being with a company. So I worked with them and helping them along, uh, getting their approvals, whatever they needed done. So while you were in private practice, um, you mentioned you were on the heritage committee when you were working for the city, when you went, when you retired from the city, and was in private practice. Were you still on the Heritage Committee, for example, for the city of Kitchener? Well, when Heritage Committee was created back in the late 70s, it was referred to as LACAC, Local, Architect oh, right. Local Architectural Conservancy Advisory Committee. Right. And uh, so when the committee was formed, because there was a lot of development happening in downtown Toronto, tear down the old houses on Margaret Avenue or Aaron's or wherever. Or downtown Kitchener, you mean? Downtown Toronto, Kitchener. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, downtown Kitchener. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, put up these build, uh, apartment buildings. And the residents were all upset in the area. All of a sudden, there's a building being uh, destroyed and an right. apartment being built. And so this committee was being formed, and they wanted a resource person uh, from staff. And I was asked to be the, uh, the uh, planner to represent uh, staff and help them out, answer any questions and, you know, uh, help them along in terms of getting any approvals or whatever needed to be done. So I did that for a few years. And then I can sort of had that interest. I grew up in an old house in Toronto built in right. 1893. Oh, okay. I had the Victorian style house. So I knew what houses looked like because I had lived in one for almost 20 years. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I could really appreciate that. So um, uh, where was it going in on this? So well, you were, you were, cause I was asking like you were on it while you were working for the city, but then you left the city. And I was wondering if you were still on that, on a, whatever heritage committee. Well, I did. And so basically after I left the city, I, and I was in the consulting field, I applied to sit on different committees. I sat on the heritage committee. I sat on a committee of adjustment and uh help them you know and do that you know do my networking with the city from a, an outside point of view a consultant yeah. point of view uh and so i did that however i uh took strong positions on behalf of the committee and appeared before council to argue the saving of certain buildings yeah let me let me before we get to that because we'll talk about the foresight building for example but so at one point you're on this committee as a employee of the city of kitchener and now you're on a committee as a outside constituent or whatever, right? You're not an employee. Just a, just a member of the committee from the public. Yeah. And and so how did you find that? Did, was it different uh, in terms of the interaction? How did you find that? No, it, it was fine. It was, uh, I, I knew what was required because as a staff person, you know what needs to be done and your, your resources that have, you have available. And so when I joined it, I was uh, more proactive uh, in on the committee in terms of let's investigate these buildings, try to save that or whatever needs to be done. Whereby where I was a staff person, I just accepted instructions from the committee and the chair and right. go research that and report back with your findings sort of thing. Yeah. So you're so you're yeah waiting for instructions when you're an employee, but when you're a private citizen, you could be a little more. You felt proactive. Right, yeah, because then you saw what buildings you know you had uh, of importance that should be preserved, and yeah. you worked at it with with your committee and your other members. So you mentioned to me the uh, the Forsyth building, for example. What what was the situation there? Well, in, in that particular building, uh, it was right next door to the new city hall. Yeah, uh, that was built on Young Street, and uh, the building well, Forsyth had their operation of uh, making shirts and pajamas and clothing and all that type of stuff and yes. then they closed down and the business went elsewhere to china probably but anyways uh the building had heritage because there were portions of the building there were art deco inside uh outdoors etc yeah and, the, i remember the exterior on duke street uh if i recall correct. correctly had some because yeah. I, used to go, I used to go to st jerome's high school for a few years so i remember oh, I see, the okay. force, yeah so they had that art, art deco thing and uh and we wanted to preserve it and try to bring it back into some type of uh, potential use if anybody wanted to do it. The city had the uh, became owners of it uh, after a period of time, but the building was sort of falling apart uh, in parts, uh, especially up in the roof area, that when it snowed or it rained, flooding would take place on the top floor. Oh. And then the floor water would all accumulate and then seep from the fifth floor down to the fourth to the third 
the boards were starting to warp, the floor was, you know, falling apart, and leakage was up. And all they needed to do is just sort of cover up the the, the roof by by fixing it somehow. Yeah. Council was not interested. They sort of said, "Yeah, yeah, we understand. Thank you very much." And then move on to other topics, and nothing happened. So you were what, delegating to council at the time. Uh... Well, our heritage committee at the time thought that Forsyth building should be saved. But to, yeah. to, to preserve it as best as possible, let's get council to spend a few bucks and save it and protect it from the elements. And they weren't doing that. That reminds me. That reminds me. Back in North Dumfries, we had one of the old ice houses. There's only like four of those in Canada, or what have you. And the right. roof was a terrible structure. So we were able to. We contributed some money from our council, and we got the um, members of our heritage committee to do some fundraising, and we were able to get enough money to fix the roof. Uh, Put a new roof on top of it so at least it wouldn't continue with water damage going down the walls the stone walls uh causing more damage same, same scenario but we got nothing wow. so as uh, so the committee was being stymied by council we'd send a report to council with our recommendations and they would not act on it and so because of that uh, and i was the uh vice chair of the committee because the chair was a member of council so i spoke on behalf of the committee and appeared as a delegation and and chastised them for not <laughs> neglecting their responsibility because they, they also have due diligence as stewardship of the properties that they yeah. own. Yeah, they own it. We're not going to do anything. And I said, well, it was ridiculous. How could you be elected and ignore what your job is supposed to be? And each one of you didn't do what you're supposed to do. So, so they didn't so like that. You left the committee. Well, uh, I, well, no, I stayed on the committee, but then you get reappointed the following year. I was history. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you didn't? Get, did you apply to get reappointed? Oh, yeah, I applied because I, I enjoyed being on the committee and working with the members of the, the other Ouch. people and Ouch. the staff. But uh, council said, oh, Zig's a troublemaker. And he. What year was that? Because um, you ran in 2006. That was about 2005. Okay. So the next year you decided to run for council. Yeah. Was it largely because of that issue or? No, it was one of the issues. Yeah. But then I was working as a consultant and because I had the planning background of the municipality yeah. um, of how zone changes and subdivisions and everything works. And I know the process and what you have to go through, time periods, et cetera. So I was working on behalf of the developer and go before council to make the presentations or work with staff. And I was being roadblocked. Well, we, we can't do that. We, we can't. I said, what do you mean you can't do that? I did that back five years ago when I was on staff. And now you're telling me we can't do it? Oh. Bullshit. So wow. basically, <laughs> I was being stonewalled there as well. And although I, you know, staff were polite about it, but yeah. they, they said, no, no, we're, the rules are changing. I said, the rules are the same. I've worked on it. I know what the bylaws say. And, and and the agreements and the OMB, the official plan, you, you can't fool me. And then you go before council and council says, well, we, we, we agree with staff, you know. That's right. great. I've so, this has got to change. So I got to run. Yeah. So, yeah. So you got to run. So uh, you, you ran like where you lived or did you pick a different ward or what did no, you do? Where I, where I lived in my ward. Yeah. And, and so did you get some people to encourage you to run as well? No, no. Uh, well, some people have said, uh, you know, you, you have a strong opinion and, yeah. you know, you'd be a good candidate. But uh, it was my own volition to do to do this. Gotcha. I, I felt very strongly like the public was being screwed in terms of not being responsive by by council. Right. right. My staff to a degree. Yeah. So I, I got to get in there and make changes. And, and be able to do that. And the only way to do that is to be a member on council. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what you found out. I mean, you knew what it was like from working there. You, you, you saw what it was like from being an outside in. And the only way to do anything is be the inside in. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know so, I mean? two, so 2006, you're running against, uh, who'd you run against? Jeff Lawrence. Anybody else or just you and Jeff? No, it was just, just the two of us. Jeff had been on council for 15 years or whatever. At that and point, it was 15 years already. I'm just guessing about, about that. He, he had been there for a while. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought, uh, uh, I'll, I'll run against him. But what really struck me when I started canvassing, going door to door, I yeah. prepared my literature. I had help from 
people I knew in the uh, uh, who I ran previously from Richard Christie, Richard, Richard Christie to Don Cardell, yeah. to uh, uh, a couple other people in the city of Waterloo. So I had my net networking uh, already connections, and they told me what to do and how to do it. And so I started doing door to door right early in the in the year, back in April, and even though the elections in October. And as you go through, go door to door, you find out a lot what people uh, have opinions on. And one of the strongest things that came out is, where's our counselor? Where's Jeff Lawrence? He's never around. We contact him for, we have an issue, no phone calls, no response back, nothing. So and, that's what you're uh, hearing from the constituents, uh, lack of response. And I just thought, well, maybe I have one or two people, you know, they're, yeah. they're going on and on and on. And I go, <laughs> wow. So how did the election, you lost, but what was the uh, outcome? Oh, I don't understand the question. The number, I mean, how close were you? Sorry. Yeah, how oh, close yeah. were you? Just, just about 100 votes. 100 votes. So that's a close run. Out of about, we each got about 2,500 votes each and yeah. by about 100. So that was very encouraging for you, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, but as, as I heard afterwards, I scared the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> put it bluntly. Yeah, probably did. So, so come, uh, come 2010. Yeah, he, so you decide to run again. And he stepped. He stepped away. He decided to run into the region because there was a, a couple of things there. <laughs> Let me ask you though: during those four years, did you get involved in anything else in the community, or you just? Uh... Well, I, I wanted to, but I was being stymied by council and mm. thrown off, uh, or not reappointed. Let's say uh, not thrown mm. off, but not reappointed to the committee of adjustment, not right. reappointed to uh, uh, heritage committee, and there's other couple other committees I, I applied for as well because I wanted to just to be involved because. If you if you're going to run in council, you you got to show your involvement with uh, with you know these subcommittees. Yeah, yeah. They didn't want me on there. No, he's he's a troublemaker. Oh, so you were labeled, were you? Oh, I I, I was honored. <laughs> so in 2010, then, uh, so Jeff doesn't run. You're running. Did you did you have some competition again? Yeah, two other people ran, and okay. uh, one one of them was Scott Pitkowski, who's now working at the. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the school, uh, board. school board. Okay. Yeah. So he, he ran, uh, and, uh, and and I and I beat him. And there was uh, another person. I didn't know those two people at all. Yeah, uh, I, I beat them both in in, in the end. So and yeah, okay. Before. So you get elected, and now you're on. Um, what uh, what were some of the first early things that you do you recall? Were some of the first early? Th well, actually, first let me ask you this: When you were running, did you have a platform like some certain things you were running on uh, in well, 2010? Basically, proper responsibility at, at, city, at city hall, and uh, and uh, uh, also on the experience that I could provide of having worked at the city for yeah. just under thirty years, plus being in private practice, I I could uh, as a, I've been there since regional government started, so I can tackle whatever topics you want, whether yeah. it's a little severance application or a committee of adjustment variance. Or you want to? You want me to represent you at the Ontario Municipal Board? Yeah, I mean, you had uh, that planning experience, which is very valuable. I would say for anyone who's going to sit at the council table. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. It's hugely important, I thought. Yeah, because regional just, just plans, like, regional like plans. Not, I'm sorry. I was going to say regional plans and all those sorts of things are guiding documents. And uh, it's good to have people uh, around the horseshoe who are making decisions that have good experience in knowing what those documents are all about. And it's interesting to note that being a planner, when you plan some plan, a subdivision or plan uh, anything in terms of development, you have to talk with different departments. There's, there's just the parks department. Then there's the engineering department because they've got to provide sewers and services. Then there's the transportation people who get involved. Then you got to talk with the people who do the bus routes. And right. then you're now talking with the legal people because you need subdivision agreements, bylaws prepared, et cetera. Yeah. So you got to make sure that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. Then you got to go through the clerk's department because you got to bring it out through council. Yeah, okay, so, slow down. I don't want to scare anybody from running. So, but, but you also you know, have to, you know what I mean. Yeah, I know. And you also have an understanding of budgets too, right? I mean, that's oh, important. Exactly. Exactly. And although I, uh, budgets are an important thing, and I was never really part of developing the budgets when sure. I was at the city, but I had a very close contact with John Gazzola because yeah. he started right at the same time as I did in 73. And uh, we had okay. close to the relationship of, uh, of working together 
And I was also involved with development charges. I was involved with the first development charges in the city back in 1980, oh. even before they became known as development charges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were called lot levies in those days. Right, right. I don't right. Know if you remember that term or not. So well, I was totally, yeah. uh, for, for, for staff and for council as to uh, responsibilities for developers. So I was working with a lot with the finance people, especially with John Gazzola, because he was dealing with putting the budgets together. Yeah. Oh. yeah, and development charges over time have become very important sources of revenue for new growth, paying for new development and infrastructure, right? Yeah. New ver- new pays for new, so to speak. Yeah, oh, exactly. So that so, was one of my babies as well. Yeah, so you've got all this experience coming in. You could like hit the ground running. What were some of the things that, do you remember back in 2010? What are some of the things you- Well, basically council at that time had also expanded from six uh, wards to 10. Okay. And, and so all of a sudden we had, uh, I think, seven new faces on council. Wow. Okay. So, um, I mean, Carl Zare was ma- reelected as mayor, and Barry Verbanovich was there already. Yeah. And, um, and somebody else, uh, Kelly Galloway. Other than that, everybody else was new because <laughs> four new wards, yeah. and three people did not run from before. And so everybody's new. However, I was the one who had the most experience from having working with the city. Well, John Gazzola was also on council, I forgot. So he had all the, the financial experience as well. Oh, okay. On how it he, used to, he was also the former CAO. So yeah. he had the whole, CFO. The CFO, the whole grasp of the city. Yeah. So anyways, um, so yeah, I had all of the, the municipal planning background. So I was able to, I went in there to even coach the new councillors uh, what to do and, and and where to go, how to operate and, and how everything looks. And so when, and just after we got elected, it's just before Christmas. And what's the first big thing that we're dealing with? The budget uh, for next budget. year. Yeah, I know. Right? That's, that's and everybody's going, and, and it's not a document like this. It's no, like, I know. you know, <laughs> you got a lot of reading. There's capital, there's operating. Yeah. Well, we've got that going on at the region. I mean, that's the first thing. We've got a lot of new people, newly elected. And uh, for some people, like the mayors, they're not only dealing with the regional budget, they've got their own city budget. So they've got times two. That's Uh, right. It's almost almost like it should be a different time of year. Uh, And you don't have this uh, overwhelming situation where you're just learning all sorts of things about the new job, you know, know, and then now you've got to deal with a budget. It's a massive undertaking. Well, you can certainly tell on the new councillors that uh, they were overwhelmed. It was just, I, I, I was, uh, uh, I wouldn't say struggling, but I was very impressed with what had to be done. And there's yeah. a lot of reading. It's not only reading, now you got to come up with questions to question as yeah. to why we're doing this, why we're doing that. Staff would make their presentations. But I mean, there's so much to absorb that you can't question everything. However, I relied with, on John Gazzola to the degree because he had done finance and right. he prepared those budgets. So we and we had this previous working relationship. So I had a lot of background from him as to what to do. But for the other councillors, it was like holy mackerel! Like I, okay, yes, I want you to understand, and and they just agreed with everything basically. So so you can see in a situation like that, even though people elect you to make these decisions, and ultimately you're responsible for the decisions. You're making decisions on things that if you're new, you really have uh, not a lot of understanding of. And so you're relying on staff a lot uh, with respect to those situations. Exactly. But I was able to question staff. Yeah, yeah you could. Because I, I knew the background of what, how things operate, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, and and not everyone's gonna, but not every council is gonna have someone like John Gazzola with thirty years experience. Oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> putting budgets together, so yeah, so that 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 would be a difficult thing. Um, so once you got past budgets, what, what were some of the other things that do you recall uh, during your first term that uh, were were problems to deal with? Well, the first year, uh, this goes back now quite a bit of time. Um, just your first term, things in your first term without spe- that specific, right? Yeah. Just... Uh, well, I know there was the, the, the issue with the washrooms out there in Victoria Park. Uh, there was the issues with the, uh, uh, the, the uh, we call it, I, I guess you can call it the coach restaurant or coach, the one in Victoria Park that's on, on the lake. The, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the building, in the building there, the boat yeah, in the building. building. And trying to keep it going 
because it, it had a nice character to it uh, overlooking the Victoria Park Lake. And it could be utilized for uh, entertainment, restaurant, etc. And it seemed to be struggling to succeed. Um, parking was an issue. Uh, the, the building was sort of falling apart to some degree. It, it needed a replacement. So uh, how much money do you want to put into it? Those became uh, topics of, uh, of, of concern as well. One of the other topics of also concern was going down to uh, and it wasn't in my ward, but it was down by Conestoga College, was the issue with student housing. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I think that's a good topic, especially with your background. Right. Uh, there was a, a developer I, I had read up. There was a developer that wanted to put in a, a fairly large, I think, uh, apartment building or town home. Well, it was sort of like a, a, a walk-up apartment building, you can put it that way. But it really wasn't an apartment building. It was... Uh, student housing and but what was happening in the zoning bylaw that was happening already there at Conestoga college of course uh 80 of the people who are the students who attended the college commuted from wherever they live there's also a building that was built at the corner of homer watson and uh, a pinnacle uh, pinnacle drive and new dundee road that i had worked on to provide for the college uh I think it was an eight-story building, student housing, specifically tied in with Conestoga College. And we got that approved. And it was room to do a second one as well. However, what some of the developers uh, decided to, to buy a single-family house, convert some of the rooms into lockable rooms, and then have students move in. Like a rooming house, almost. Like a rooming house, yeah, to, to that degree. And it was lodging houses that was also, they were calling it. Okay. So basically, you had a single-family house with four or five or six unrelated people living there. Right. So yeah, with a single-family house, which is called single-family, then yeah. now it's called single-detached, basically it was a family, husband and wife, two, three kids, whatever, right. and, that, and that was considered a single-family house. But what they took that house and just put four students in there. Yeah. Okay, students were maybe there, some of them were good, some of them were bad. But the bad ones created the trouble because they were having parties. They were having friends coming over. Let me ask you. So this is on the Dune area. And, and I mean, Conestoga College needs places for the kids to live uh, that are going to the school, I, I guess. Um, is this are these rooming or boarding houses? Are they are they um, um, getting permission from the city to establish or they're just doing them like illegally? Illegally. Oh, you're saying. Hey, what's the definition of a family? It, right. became, it became a social type issue that was challenged to the at the board. I understand. So, uh, does a, a family could be an unrelated family? Four, four, four guys living together, or four girls living together? Well, it can't be four strangers living together. But that's what they are. Four strangers living together. I know that's what they are. But are you saying that but, there was an argument have, for that? But they have their own individual bedroom. Yeah. But they use a common space, the living area, the kitchen, and they cook together and right. live together, sort of live together as a single family, as a single like family. A, like oh. a communal, a communal oh, family. Yeah. <laughs> and, but they, so if they, if some houses were like that and they didn't become a problem, the problem came down to is the parties. And then all of a sudden those four students had four vehicles. So there was no room in the right. driveway, so they started parking on the front lawn. But yeah. it's the parking, it was the parting that got out of control. But but let's get to this. There was a, a certain development proposal though, right? So the so you've got the individual houses getting converted, but somebody actually came forward with a project that would have been like, I don't know, 40 units or whatever it was. What was the you know larger proposal, That's right. right? And I forget the guy's name, I think it was Olivia or Oliver or something. But anyways, he he came in and wanted to do it. And the residents were hesitant because we don't want that housing backing onto our backyard. Right. And if you're going to have more students clump together, the partying will be even louder and greater. And the property wasn't zoned to allow what he wanted to do, no. right? Yeah, he had to he had to rezone it. And that's where the residents fought with the zone change, et cetera. So 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 when somebody wants to change the zoning, they come to the city. 
uh, with it. They make an application. You, you know the drill. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're asking for a zone change. And um, so you so you hire your own planners to say why it's going to fit into the neighborhood and why it should be changed. And then the, but the city's got to come back with a report. That's correct. City's got to do the report. And now the, the the problem with that becomes is that when you look at land use, you look at the buildings, you look at parking, you look at uh, setbacks, uh, all those variety of issues. You don't look at who's going to be living in there. Right. But you look at the neighborhoods, you look at the neighborhoods, though, too, right, in terms of where you're sticking this thing. Yeah. And there's mostly single family housing occupied by a husband and wife and one or two or three kids. And, and this thing was going to be, what, four stories or something? Or yeah, three, three stories? Three stories. Okay. But, but the problem with the thing is, is that planning the zoning bylaw cannot dictate right. the composition of who lives there. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. It's a social issue. Yeah. It's not a planning issue. Right, right. But basically, when you look at the history, 99% of the houses that are built are occupied by a husband and a wife. Or, yeah, you know, or a, a partner, whatever they are. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. and then okay. they have one or two kids. Maybe the grandmother will move, move, move in because she's got some health issues right. and she but, has seven but this, but this particular, But I'm, the reason I'm harping on this particular project because there's a good story here and a good lesson for the listeners on this project. So, so, so uh, the developer brings it forward. Staff looks at it. You have some community consultations, right? Some community oh, meetings. Oh, yeah. yeah, public meetings, yeah. And then they'll come out and express their concerns, right, about it being in the neighborhood and traffic and partying and the size doesn't fit, all those sorts of the Traffic's always a big one, right? <laughs> well, traffic is because uh, if they have two or three cars or four cars, and then it becomes an issue. Some students don't even have a car, and it never became an issue for that particular right. dwell. Right. But <laughs> on this project, though, you didn't like this project in that spot, right? Well, the, see, this is the problem that comes down to is if it fits the definition under the official plan yeah. of, 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 of accommodation and housing, and mm -hmm. it fits under the zoning bylaw, under the zoning category, or R2A or R2 or whatever you, you put it under, for yeah. multiple housing, then you got, you got to meet the bylaw in terms of setbacks and, and parking requirements and height and stuff of that nature. But... You can't deal with who lives there. No, no, I know, but let's forget about that. Or you already established that. What I'm getting at is this. But that's what, but that's what the residents are concerned about. They say, uh, a three-story building, we can live with that. Yeah, we parking. Understood. Understood. We don't want the students in there because they cause problems with partying. Right. So going forward, then Zig, staff comes back because the developer is proposing to, to do things differently than what's allowed in the bylaw or the zoning app, uh, the zoning, right? Well, he, he, he tries to comply with it. When well, he basically does. Would this project comply with it? Yes, it would. From oh, the planning okay. perspective of setbacks, parking, height. Okay. Number so, of bedrooms. So the staff three. comes back with a report and says he meets all the all requirements. And it should be approved. And staff can say, well, we don't have any grounds to refuse it. What did council do? Council then hears it, and the residents come down and say, yes, he meets the setback. Yes, they meet the parking. But it's all the partying and the noise and the parking all over the front lawn yeah. that we don't like. I have a nice single-family house <laughs> right next door. I take cut the grass. <laughs> I take care of the property. And, and my neighbor next door, there's garbage all over the place. They don't even collect that. Zig, I got you. I got you. But what did council do? Well, they, they, they some of them, some sometimes they approve and sometimes they don't. All right. And, and what did they do down, on this one? And they turn it down to go to the Ontario Municipal Board. Okay, but that's the story here. This is the important story here, okay? Right. So you've got a situation where the developer comes forward, it's got his planning team, and your city planning looks at it and says, this should be approved, right? Yep. So now the councillor, the elected officials have this report. They've got a developer with his planners that say why it fits. They got their own staff saying why it should be approved. All the indicators are there for council to say, I guess we got to approve it. But in this case, council looked at some other issues, like you said, the social issues that are not part of planning per se, and said, we're turning this down, right? 
Right. And now, because and a lot of times people say, well, we can't turn this down because it'll just go to the OMB or OLT or LPAT or whatever, and we're going to lose, right? Yep. But that's not what happened in this situation, is it? Uh, they they turned it down and uh, also turned it down. The board, the board, the Ontario Municipal Board turned it down. Right. They supported the residents. They supported the residents. Yeah, because which is they, rare. Which which is rare because uh, one of the arguments that came out was that you're you're, you're cramming too much, uh, too many too many units and people into a space, and I and, and using the expression. Trying to put ten pounds of sugar into a five-pound bag. Yeah, that was that was the phrase you used, and I think they used it at the hearing too. But you said, but yeah, okay, you're you're cramming a big, large uh, building into a small space, but your staff still said it was okay because they couldn't find any reasonable argument to turn it down. So the ten pounds of sugar into a five-pound bag wasn't a reasonable argument to turn it no, down. They just accepted it, but I used that on council to to, to to go against it. I know. So this is what's interesting about this story is because, you know, sometimes councillors think, "Oh, okay, well, staff is supporting it. We're going to turn it down." Because when you go to the hearing, if you want to maintain your position, now you now you're at the hearing. You got the residents fighting it because they're trying to defend it. You got the planner or the developer who's bringing it to the hearing because they just lost at your council vote. So they're going to OMB and they're bringing their experts. They got the city staff report. So either the city is going to fight to defend their, the council decision, which means you got to now hire some other experts maybe, or the citizens go there and fight it and hire their own experts. Yeah. And and the citizens have a, a very difficult because um, they don't want it there, but now they got to raise money to hire a lawyer or, right. or a planner to defend them. And yeah. we're, not, we're not talking a couple hundred bucks; we're into thousands no, of dollars. No, you're talking tens of thousands. And- yeah, yeah. Whereby then, and then you then then you got to pay for it out of your own pocket, and, and of course maybe you can muster the the community to chip, to chip in a few bucks. Whereby the developer uh, that becomes a business expense; he can write it yeah. off as a, as a part of doing business. Or if the city would have participated, but I don't know if the city participated in this one. If the city stays well, on the sideline, they have to be there because it, it, it goes through council, whether it's approved or refused. The right. city has to be there. To but, but it depends the how much how much they're defending, though. That's the well, thing. That's, that's the thing. Are they strongly defending it, or are they just saying we're just appearing because it happens to be here to answer? I, I think I think they might have just appeared, and I don't think they hired their own expert to support their their opinion to refuse it. And I think it was left up to the citizens, but I think it's a great story because it shows that there are times when you have good arguments that you can uh, uh, be successful, even though the developers planners and the city planners support it. So it's one of those rare situations, but it's a very interesting story. And I think from your planning perspective, maybe you under recognizing some of the issues like the social issue you talked about, which is not necessarily planning, but it's a consideration, probably helped in your in guiding your decision and maybe helped uh, council decide. Well, I hope so, because <laughs> it's not a not a unanimous vote on that. So that I thought was a really interesting story. Now, I want to shift over to something that's actually in your ward, which is Belmont Village. Yep. Right. So Belmont Village is in your ward. And, you know, we all see that as a little jewel in our community. I mean, with the shops and everything. And and during your time uh, as an elected representative in that area, uh, it probably was that back then, too. What was your talk about your involvement with Belmont Village? Well, Belmont Village was created back uh, in, in the 40s, 50s, when yeah. the stores that got, got built. And he created- I got braces. I got braces in Belmont Village. One of the <laughs> dentists there. <laughs> Anyways, it was uh, uh, a nice niche of a community that was self-sufficient, but not part of a plaza, sort of speaking. But you can just go park, angle parking, and uh, go do shopping, whatever. One of the first Zare stores was located in Belmont Village back in the, in, in the 50s. And other businesses had followed through. And basically provided all the typical little shopping that you need from a butcher shop to hairdresser, banking, restaurants, uh, convenience stores, a gas station, and all that. A community, little community in itself, and it was it was wonderful. But eventually, as the planning as it was growing, 
uh, and, and that was already off council at the time. Well, we won't we won't get into the off council stuff. We're just going to oh. stick to on council. What did you do to help Belmont Village while you were on council? Well, we we, we basically did uh, try to try to make it grow and 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 just expand it in terms of activities and and making it more usable and having more people come. Make sure that the the businesses are are are, are doing really really well. And to do that, we try to do activities. I brought forward uh, cruise nights uh, on there, trying to do it on a week on a on a weekly basis. It didn't quite work out, but we did it on a monthly basis during the summer. Right. And, right. And of course, it's all weather related. If it's a pouring rain and you sure. get a day, that's unfortunate. But most of the time, it worked out pretty good. We had music, we had activities, we had prizes uh, that do that you could uh, win for the people who would show up. Uh, to uh, you got coupons to go to the restaurant and 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 businesses to support them. So yeah. that, that that was where we did a mural on the side. I, I don't know if you can picture the the fifties mural uh, on um, uh, on one of the buildings where the Pharma Plus building is right now. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, I I put that all together and got that that uh, done. And I wanted to do more as we move, moved on uh, in in the future. So it was activities like that. Then, then we had one with the uh, uh, winter uh, Santa Claus is coming to town for right. for the seasonal thing just before end of November, and had uh, sleigh ride, not sleigh rides, but uh, horse rides in the community, and activities and and dog parades and a variety of things just to to bring people yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. It was so wonderful. It yeah. was wonderful. It's, I mean, it's got it's it's got a unique the unique boulevards, the the streetscaping, where you park, and all that. I, it's surprising to me we don't see more Belmont Village type developments around. It, you, you, they, well, Williamsburg in Fisher yeah. Hall and uh, Westbound in the intersection there. That yeah. sort of was the, the the next one that came around with the Schlegels, and oh, that, that was, was very, like fifty years later. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's a very good project, and and, yeah. that, and, that, and that's doing well there as well. Yeah, it's a great project. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, but what was now cause, causing a problem was the, the zoning had changed because the council had approved more higher density in certain uh, locations. Yeah, okay. And, but we're not, again, we're not getting into today's problems. We're talking about you when you were on, yeah. on council. But, but that's what's caused another a problem, and, and that's another story to sell. So um, <clears throat> one other thing. Uh, oh, when you got elected, did you get put on the Heritage Committee? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good for you. Well, you, you choose the committees that you want to, to be on. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and uh and I and I want to be on Heritage. And and it was fine. And I ended up being on other committees as well. Uh they want no, you no, but I was just curious because they didn't put you back on and then you got elected and you got yourself yeah. back on. So good for you. And so there. I was on the Heritage Committee for uh for the eight years while I was there. Yeah. Um there are a couple of uh I'm not going to say minor or whatever, but there was uh, where public consultation, you had concerns about whether there was a sufficient level of public consultation on issues, which I think is a good thing to always bring up. And uh, two of them, one was uh, that ice rink renovation that was happening uh, in the two rinks at the back of the auditorium. You had the Olympic size ice, and then they were going to reduce it down to the NHL size ice, for example. Right. And and that was during your time. And, and you had some. And you were, you, I guess, you were a, an old industrial hockey player. Uh, yeah, I play, I play old timers hockey, and I still do. And at that time, uh, the uh, the intent was to uh, downsize the, uh, the the width of the uh, of, of the uh, the hockey rink. Yeah, uh, from Olympic size, right down to uh, NHL. Side. But the reason they were going to do that because the buildings, uh, the ice rinks had already been there for forty years, and the uh, the the freezing of the pipes under the surface of the of the of the concrete, uh, it was starting to deteriorate. They noticed that the flows were were an issue on their, uh, their dials, and and work needed to be done. You just couldn't fix it. You really had to come and rip it out and replace it, put brand new. Pipes. You weren't you weren't really happy with that change in the size. No, uh, the, the work that had to be done underneath was fine. The reduction I was not happy with because a lot of us like the Olympic size uh, rink. Now the auditorium is just a regular NHL size. Sure, yeah. But when the Kinsman and Kiwanis were built behind, they were built as industrial as a um, Olympic size ones. Because that's where a lot of the stuff was happening with the Olympics, and maybe training would be coming 
of, of uh, Canadian teams coming to uh, our city, and you could utilize those facilities uh. for, for their training. And I thought that was a, a, a great thing. Rim Park also had the same uh, same scenario. But right. uh, staff, no, 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 we got to do the NHL. They canvas minor hockey, minor hockey people and their com- committees said, no, they weren't happy. Those big, those big rings are a little too big for the five and six-year-olds. <laughs> you know, to speed okay, on. I got so, so there wasn't broad enough consultation. Well, they had just just some just, just the people who used the rings. There was nothing to do with public out in, in, in the open. Right, right, right. Um, and then there was uh, um, you, you had an issue on the renaming of the square, City Hall Square. Yeah, yeah. And then there, you would have liked more public consultation on that. Yes. Uh, what was happening was that the mayor. Uh, at that time, Carl Zare had been probably the longest mayor uh, around for the city count for city Kitchener. Yeah, and uh, he was stepping down and uh, from running in the next election, which should be two thousand and fourteen. And so he he made an announcement. So staff as well in recognizing what uh, his contributions as the longest serving mayor after Don Cardillo had to, had that initial. Uh, role, uh, we should name something after him. So, of course, the auditorium got named Dom Cardillo Auditorium Arena, yeah. at, the, at the at the Memorial Auditorium. Yeah, yeah. inside was the Dom Cardillo Arena. Yes, and so we said, well, we have to do something for Carl's there. So, staff came up with the suggestion of naming the City Hall Square as the Carl's there Square. Yeah, no public consultation. It just went right behind closed doors. And they said, here it is, uh, and uh, let's we, we have to do this right away because there was a timing issue. I can't remember exactly how to what degree it was a timing issue, but you know we have to do it in two weeks. No public consultation. And so an internal vote, and uh, uh, I voted against it because yeah, yeah, it yeah. be public, uh, and it didn't go that way. I lost another one. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, it just I did, I did my job. Wrong. I was doing right. my job. Right, dust off and move on. So, 2014 election, how was that for you? The municipal election. I got reelected. It was it, it was fine. Uh, people liked me, and uh, um, it, it was more of smooth sailing. Yeah. And were, were there any during that 2014 to 2018 period? Was there any significant issues that uh, you were dealing with? Do you recall? Uh, speed bumps were one one issue, and then in speed speeding. What uh, was one of the concerns? Most of the issues were uh, individual little problems that the constituents had: right. you know, sewage block up, blockage, trees falling from the city property in my backyard, uh, right. stuff of that nature. Big issues, more not in my ward, but basically they were all citywide sort of stuff. The LRT was an issue. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. coming about uh, asking me for my position, and I said, "Well, it's a regional decision, not yes. a city decision." Yeah, but yeah. we still want to know where you where you stand on it, you know. And, uh, and who was asking your position? Who? Oh, just constituents when you were going door to uh, door. Yeah, yeah, in the election. Yes, and during the election, and a lot of the time, the people were confused as you're running for the city. And they're asking regional questions, you know, yeah, or, yeah. or vice versa. So, and they says, well, I don't know, is Westbound Road a regional road or a city road? You tell me, you know, that, that they're <laughs> telling me. And so, yeah, I have to tell them and explain the the, 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 the differences. So, uh, yeah, people got, got confused at times. And, and so you had to help them out with the LRT, thinking that it's a city decision. Well, yeah, that's interesting during an election, because uh, we were talking about this not too long ago. Uh, in a municipal election, you could have uh, the mayor, you could have four or five candidates. You got your ward councillor, could be three or four or five candidates. You got your regional uh, councillor representatives, so you're picking four out of a list that could be 13 names. Right. You got your school board, where you're picking a few off of a long list. And you got your regional chair, which could be, you know, you're picking one out of a list of four or five. So it's a lot of names on a ballot to try and figure out who's who and, and who's what. So add them all up. So you're voting for about 10 positions or 10 people yeah. that you would choose from yeah. the mayor to counselor to, yeah, to school, school board. board. Yeah. And you've got out of 10, at least maybe 30 people running in total. Uh-huh. And they're not represented by parties, liberal, NDP, conservative, whatever. 
they're all individual. And then you have newcomers, and then you have people who are running for re-election. Do the research of each person to try to find out what their yeah. background is and, and, and interest, what they want to do to for the reason for running, or the people who have already been on council for four years or eight years, how their voting patterns were. Are you happy with them or not? And to yeah. do all that research, it's a hell of a big job. It is. And, and a lot of the candidates, especially when you get down to the councillors or the school board, they don't have any literature that they deliver door to door. There's nothing on their website or they don't yeah. even have a website. So how do you know who you're voting for? How do you know what they stand for? Or stand for. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or so by it, provincial, provincial and federal elections, you got three or four or five parties. Yeah. You know, you're either, and you're only going in to vote for one person. Yeah, I know. It's party. pretty simple. It's pretty Very simple. simple. You're in and out. Here, yeah. you have to have a list that you have to bring in with you to figure out who's on first and who's on second. Yeah. second. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, it's hard. Yeah. And that's, why, that's why you get a poor turnout for municipal elections. It's that's, overwhelming. That's Yeah, that's one of them. I mean, And uh, now we've got 57 candidates that are uh, elected people in our region. Are we going to have amalgamation? There's another. There's another topic. Only Doug Ford knows, I think, Zig. But listen, let me ask you this. Then, um, so we're, we're near the end. Um, yeah. So, what is your advice for someone who's thinking about running? Because it, because you you had a lot of experience in municipal politics. So for you to step in, it was almost hand to glove. Like you you know you could. It was like riding a bike. You get back in there. You knew yeah. what was what. There were some things like the budget that you didn't have as much experience, but you know, you, you had enough and you could get a little more from John Gazzola, for example, but I'm planning, you know, no problem, hands down. And, and you understood how the city works and the municipality works and stuff. What advice would you give for people who are thinking about running, but don't have that sort of experience? Well, you, the, the, the main thing is you got to get involved in the city in terms of the different committees that are available, whether it's the heritage committee, whether it's uh, Kitchener compass, uh, and there's there's a whole list. You can get involved with your community centers by uh, sitting on uh, those those committees and being involved with small groups. Uh, it basically means you you have to have an interest on it. Uh, you should attend council meetings uh, to so you know how it operates. Uh, talk to politicians if there's public meetings taking place in your backyard for a zone change or a subdivision. Go to those meetings. If you agree with what's happening, that's fine. But you yeah. still got to. You should still go there because you may have one opinion, but your next door neighbor may have the opposite, and you want to know why they have that opinion. Yeah. And so when you when you collect all these opinions, then you have to come and make maybe a decision as to well, if I was on council, would I be supporting it or not supporting it? I have to hear both sides of the argument whether it's from the residents or from the consultant and from the developer or from the staff, there's uh different points. Yeah. It's good to get, it's good to get out there and get that experience. So it's like doing, doing homework. You can't just, just sort of run, show up and expect to, uh, it, well, you can be more effective the more experience you gain prior to running, for example, I guess you could just show up and run and get elected and eventually you would learn, but I think you would be more effective earlier uh, with the experience you would get from doing some of the things you talked about. Yeah, that, that's that's the key. And if you've had a municipal government job of some time, even though you worked at the region of the province uh, or federally, you still got, you see how the government operates. I mean, sure, it's a different level, but uh, there's protocol, there's process, there's bylaws and bills. It, 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 it all ties in together. And of course, you are representing the public no matter which level you're at. Yeah. So Zig, let me ask you, um, how, what, how would you describe your experience over those eight years? Oh, a very uh, enlightening, very, uh, I loved it. I love being on council. I mean, there's a lot of crap that happens behind closed doors and, <laughs> and, and opinions. Uh, but I also found that when you're representing constituents, I found that 98% of the constituents were the easiest people to deal with. Right. If uh, they had an issue and contacted you by a phone call or an email and you replied back uh, within the same day and tried to help them uh, and you worked with them and, and worked with them, then it, it was great. 
But if you ignore them, and I know there's a lot of counselors who just ignore you, because when I was on council, I would get the phone call from another ward because uh, the counselor was not responding to them because they didn't like being hassled or right, right. position. And so I, I would go to, and then he'd get upset because now I'm in his ward helping him out. Oh. <laughs> and he's like, what are you doing here? He well, you didn't answer his phone. I got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I decided to help him out. You don't yeah. like it? You know, do something about it. Yeah, well, listen, Zig, uh, I want to thank you for the time today. Uh, some good advice and some good points there. And and we hear that common theme. You know, you you, you got to help people out. You got to respond to them. And and it's important in your role as the counselor to to get back to people, let them know that they're being heard. I think that's the most important thing. Nothing oh, more yeah. frustrated than thinking you're being ignored, uh, for exactly. sure. Exactly. So, so thanks, Zig, for the time. And uh, I wish you all the best and, uh, uh, and, and all the best in the future vacations for you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for having me on here. It's a pleasure for providing my opinions and advice and, and experience that I've enjoyed. And uh, it's, 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 it was really worth doing. That's, that's good to know. It's good to know. And I, hopefully other people will be encouraged by those words and, and take the plunge. So all, all the best, Zig. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Rob.